Welcome to the podcast, Cook, Eat, Nourish, with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. In today's interview, I'm interviewing Maeve Hannon of Dietetically Speaking. We have a fascinating chat all about debunking diet myths, plant protein, mood and food, and as always, her top three tips that we can use to help improve the health of the nation. Be sure to listen to the end and comment or give us a review. Thanks a million. Morning, Maeve. Thanks a million for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on, Fiona. Great. Would you mind introducing yourself to my audience? Absolutely. So my name is Maeve Hannon. I am a consultant dietitian, and I also run the blog dietheticallyspeaking.com and all the related social media channels. Fantastic. And would you tell us a little bit about your career to date? Sure. So I qualified as a dietitian in Northern Ireland in Coleraine University. And then I spent about five years working in the NHS. So I worked as a general dietitian on the wards and seeing general clients in clinic related to often gut issues or healthy eating, weight management, IBS, all those kind of things. And then I worked as a stroke specialist dietitian. Um, so that was seeing patients both in hospital and when they got home after having a stroke. And then I worked as a pediatric specialist dietitian. So that was seeing anything from premature babies up to 18 year olds and kind of anything nutritionally that can happen along the way. Uh, so that was a really great experience in the NHS. And then the past two years I've been working as a consultant dietitian. So that has been working with companies and brands, consulting from a nutritional point of view, um, it's been seeing private clients one-on-one, -on -one. it's doing lots of health writing, so writing for different websites, different magazines, um, working with the media as well. So really my whole thing is about promoting evidence-based nutrition and a way of eating that promotes health and happiness and that's realistic and achievable. Fantastic, very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit, I know it comes up an awful lot, the dietitian versus the nutritionist and the quality. Can you explain to us exactly what the, the difference is and maybe why it is so topical? Great question, it definitely comes up a lot and I can see why people are confused. There's a lot of gray areas and it can definitely be confusing. So the first thing to explain is that a dietitian is a legally protected title. So it's actually the full title is registered dietitian. So to become a registered dietitian, you have to go to a registered university um, and then you have to do your degree. So either a four year undergrad or a related undergrad and then a two year masters. And within that you do a clinical placement. So you would be you know, spending a few months in the hospital and actually kind of working and getting experience as a dietitian, okay. working with people who are unwell in a clinical setting. Yeah. So that's one of the main differences. So somebody can get a degree and become a nutritionist, but they don't necessarily have that clinical placement. And then the other thing is to stay registered as a dietitian, you have to stay up to date with your continuous professional development. So you have to be up to date with the nutritional science and you have to act ethically and professionally. So if somebody's calling themselves a dietitian, then it means they're more likely to be meeting all of those standards because it's a legal title, it's protected. Whereas unfortunately, nutritionist isn't protected. So that means that actually anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, which is confusing for the public and it's frustrating for the well-qualified nutritionists okay. because it's hard then to tell the difference. Um, so the thing to look for is, you know, if a person is calling themselves a nutritionist, do they have a degree, what are their qualifications, um, what are they specialising in, what's their experience? Um, in the UK there is a 
um, a register, a voluntary register for nutritionists. Okay. So if somebody's a registered nutritionist with the Association for Nutrition in the UK, then they're meeting similar standards. So okay. for acting professionally and promoting evidence-based nutrition. And then the third type of nutrition professional is a nutritional therapist. And um, so again, it's not a protected title and sometimes it can be more associated with alternative medicine, um, but it depends on the practitioner. Okay. Mm. Okay, thank you. Want to think about <laughs> So why did you set up Dietetically Speaking? So I set up Dietetically Speaking about five years ago and I was just really frustrated with all of the nutritional nonsense I was seeing. Mm -hmm. So online, on the media, even just speaking to people. And it was really, it was a place for me to sort of get my nutritional rants out of me. Um, so it was just a hobby on the side that I started to do. Um, and on the back of that, I started to do some talks around the UK in um, it's an organization called Skeptics in the Pub. So people would go to the pub and they'd have an expert speak about something evidence-based. Okay. So that's kind of how I got started. I do talks around England. Um, and then I got approached to write some nutrition articles and it kind of just grew from there. So it kind of started as a hobby and now it's had a big impact on my career because it's kind of given me the opportunities to become a consultant dietitian. Mm, fantastic. And for any of you, those of you who haven't checked it out, check out her website or I have it on Instagram. It's loads of really simple snippets of information, quick kind of infographic images in all areas and it's, it's, it's really, really useful. So well done. Thank you so much. Uh, what services do you offer? So I have all my services up on my website, um, but the main ones are one-to-one. -one. So okay. I have two clinics that I'm working from at the moment. Um, so a Monday, Tuesday, a volunteer clinic under the Orla Walsh Nutrition Clinic. And then I have one in Dublin 8 on a Wednesday afternoon, and that's the Dietetically Speaking Clinic. Um, so I work one-to-one -one with people for a variety of reasons. Sometimes people just want a nutrition checkup, a bit of healthy eating advice. Um, it's often IBS. Sometimes it's disordered eating, eating disorders, uh, so lots of different conditions really, and I have them all listed on my website. I also offer web consultations, so if somebody can't come into clinic or if they don't live in Ireland, um, I see people via web chat. Okay. I also then work with brands and companies consulting, so if they have a nutrition project that they want help with, or maybe it's um, menu analysis or something like that, and um, so I also do that. I do a lot of health writing. Mm -hmm. um, so for websites and magazines, so um, I always love when people get in touch with that because that's one of my main passions, I do really right. enjoy health writing. Um, and then with the media, so people get in touch for radio shows or for um, newspaper articles, that kind of thing. Okay, fantastic. So one of the things are the diet myths that I love that you do. Will you give us an example of uh, some of those or the, the most the most popular, the most challenging, or the biggest ones on, on your agenda, what, what would they be? Yes, so something that just comes up constantly and again and again. So I think one of the main ones I see most commonly is that carbs are the devil, that carbs are bad and evil. And um, So I actually made a t-shirt recently saying carbs are not the devil, I was so frustrated by it. And basically if we look at the nutritional role that carbs have in our diet, it's the preferred energy source by our body. Okay. So our brain and our muscles and everything function best when we have some carbohydrates in our system. So it will depend on, you know, if somebody has a medical condition, you know, sometimes in that case we look at maybe pulling back a little bit on the carbs, but we'd never go really low carb or carb free because the body does function best when there's some carbs on board. And also if we think of whole grains and just how nutritious whole grains are mm. and the fact that 80% of Irish people don't have enough fibre in their diet, 
if we look at the quality of our carbs rather than okay we need to cut out all carbs that would have a bigger health impact for most people so going for more whole grain breads and pastas and different types of grains as well like you know quinoa and buckwheat and things yeah that would have a much better impact than people thinking that i need to avoid carbs altogether okay so i mean for some people it is looking at the quantity sometimes we do overdo it um, but it's not to say that carbs are bad. It's we just need to have them in the right balance within our overall diet. Yeah. Okay. Give us another one. So another one would be coconut oil. Okay. So this mm. is one. It was more popular a few years ago, but I do see it just come back again and again. And I think the fact that it was so heavily promoted before, some people still think, oh, coconut oil. That's associated with health. You know, they have that somewhere in their mind. So coconut oil is 82% saturated fat. Mm -hmm. Saturated fat is the type of fat that's more likely to increase the LDL or the bad cholesterol in our body. So having very high intake of saturated fat may increase cholesterol, may increase the risk of heart disease. Um, obviously it depends on other lifestyle factors as well. But for health, we shouldn't be having high intakes of coconut oil. And there was a stage where people were adding it to their coffee and mm. were consciously having spoons of it. Um, so we really shouldn't be doing that because studies show that if we have a high intake of coconut oil compared to other types of oils, like maybe olive oil or rapeseed oil, it's much more likely to increase cholesterol. So for okay. health, I wouldn't be encouraging it. If someone likes a taste in maybe a Thai curry or something like that, um, or if they're making granola and they just prefer that taste, that's fine to have it in moderation, but I wouldn't be adding it into your diet with the idea that it's good, good for Good benefiting. Health. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to give me another one?
for some people, maybe a vegetarian or a vegan diet suits them and that improves their health. For other people, maybe that's not available to them or that diet doesn't suit them for whatever reason. So um, it's, it's really individual. It's all about the context. There are some overarching messages when it comes to, um, you know, we should be eating more plants and getting more fiber. And most people would benefit from eating less meat. You don't necessarily have to eat no meat though. So it's all about having that little bit of flexibility and finding out what works for that individual because we're all so different. Yes, okay, and I see that in my cookery demos. As I say, I have some people who are trying to lose weight, gain weight, have allergy, recovering from cancer. There's so many different things, and it's not one size fits all, but you know, everyone's got to eat, and you know, I like to help people with how to make it easier so they don't have to spend too long in the kitchen. Exactly, that's such a good point. Okay, so we've done a few minutes. How about one of the things I think is maybe plant proteins? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time, you know, in January, you've got to be January, and people are, are looking to, a lot of the times you say it's benefit to reduce the meat intake. So if we're looking at plants, because we want to make sure we're getting enough protein in the diet, can you tell us a little bit about the good sources of, of plant protein? That's a really good idea, as you said, because veganuary or just plant-based diets in general are so popular at the moment. Mm -hmm. So some of the good plant proteins would be things like lentils and beans and chickpeas, nuts and seeds, grains also provide protein. So more likely a whole grain source will have a higher amount of protein in there. And um, so something like, you know, even brown bread has about three grams of protein per slice. Okay. Um, so what it comes down to really when we're talking about plant proteins is we want to be getting a big variety. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good principle for our overall diet anyway because the thing about the plant proteins is they don't all have a good amount of all nine essential amino acids that we need. So whereas meat and dairy do, there's only a handful of plant-based proteins that do. Okay. So soya would be a good example, quinoa and buckwheat, they have pretty good amounts of all nine essential okay. amino acids, whereas if we're talking about other beans or other grains, they don't tend to. Yes. So that's where if you have a mixture throughout the day of different beans, different grains, then your body will store all the different amino acids and it will make the, the protein complete itself. So if it has something like, um, like maybe a grain that has a good amount of amino acids except for the amino, amino acid methionine, but your body has had some, um, some beans earlier on in the day and it has that methionine in the system, your body will draw from the pool in your body and complete that protein. Okay. So you don't necessarily need to do that per meal. Although yeah, because it used to be the guidelines that it was per meal, exactly, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah, protein okay. combined per meal. And I mean, that can work for some people. You sort of know you're ticking your box. But we now know that because the body will store the extra amino acids, it's more important to get that variety over the day rather than per meal. Okay. And the, the amino acids are the building blocks of the protein that your body makes and it needs online to make a complete protein. Is um, another area I was looking to talk about is um, mood and food because mm -hmm. I run fermentation demos here as well and uh, I find fermentation food, personally I find it great and it tends mm -hmm. to be the immune boosting side of it, but also the energy side etc. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your thoughts on mood and food? Yes definitely, so another very topical area and some of the main things to think about when it comes to food and mood is energy levels and then specific nutrients that impact our mood. Okay. Because a lot of the time, if we're thinking about our mood, it can be just related to low energy levels and just feeling sort of slumped and inability to concentrate because we haven't put the right food into our body basically. So that just come back to the carbohydrates actually. So one of the most important things is 
having your carbohydrates and the type of carbohydrates that are going to give you sustained energy. Okay. So yeah. rather than getting the spiking and the drop in the blood mm -hmm. sugars, we want it to stay steady. So that's where your whole grains again, really important, and actually how you balance your meal. So if you have a meal and you have some whole grains in there, you have a source of protein, you have uh, maybe some healthy fats in there, and then maybe some fruit and veg, within that meal, you're getting fiber, you're getting carbohydrate, you're getting protein, you're getting fats. All of those things work together and help to keep the blood sugars more stable, and then you get all the other goodness that all okay. those nutrients offer as well. So that's, I would say the most important thing actually is to get that right to start with. Okay. And then there's some add-ons. So there's more evidence coming out around the effect of the Mediterranean diet mm. and some really interesting studies that have been done where they've compared therapy with or without the Mediterranean diet. Okay. And actually the diet has a really significant impact on our mood. So it comes back to having oily fish at least once a week mm. because those omega-3s and they're really important for how our brain functions. And actually, you know, about a third of our brain is made up of a type of omega-3. So we want to be putting in that good quality omega-3. So having, you know, salmon, sardines, trout, mackerel, different yeah. kinds of oily fish at least once a week. If somebody doesn't eat oily fish, then you can take a supplement. Although the evidence we have, we can't say if it's going to be quite as good. So we don't know, but it's better than nothing. And you can also get your plant-based omega-3s from things like um, soya and rapeseed oil and chia seeds. So you can get a variety of those. So with the soya, say as an unpressed, would you be talking the enemy beans really as being an unprocessed type of soya or what would you do? Yeah, I mean all forms actually. I mean okay. it can be soya oil, it can be soya like tofu, it can be the edamame beans. Okay. Yeah, so that's all a source. Um, yeah, the rapeseed oil is a good source, walnut oil, walnuts as well. Okay. So sources of the plant-based fats. Um, another one then would be the B vitamins. So again, that comes back to our whole grains. So our whole grain breads and grains and everything are a good source of B vitamins. Uh, also meat and dairy, a good source of B vitamins, especially B12. And that's an important one again for how our brain functions. So that would be, I think they'd be really the main ones. And also then selenium is another important mineral that's been shown to, um, you know, possibly selenium deficiency then might increase the risk of depression or issues with mood. Um, so again, if you're getting a variety of nuts and seeds and whole grains, um, also red meat, then you're getting a variety of selenium sources there. Brazil nuts are a great source. Okay. Yeah, so we can get our daily requirements, depending on the size, from about one to four Brazil nuts per day. Mm. Okay, great. Um, so what else do we have? The mood and food, the plant-based, the diet mix. Okay, next I'd like to ask you about the three tips. So I would usually ask for three tips that you can give my audience that they can, I know you've given lots already, but they can implement now to help improve the health of the nation. What would those three tips be? Yeah, so I think I would actually be drawing on some of the things that we've spoken about already. Um, the first one being that we should be eating more plants. Okay. And I do think that message has been distorted to you know eat only plants. But remember, a plant-based diet, it doesn't mean plant only. Mm. It means about two-thirds of the diet is made of plants. So most of us should try and eat more fruit and veg, more whole grains, nuts, seeds. So we're getting lots of different plants and then all the goodness that those plants offer. So we're getting fiber, vitamins, minerals, polyphenols. And um, so that would be the main one really that you know, about her to half of our meal should be fruit, veg, or salad. We should be going for mainly whole grains and then the additional types of plants like the nuts and the seeds. Okay. okay. So that'd be number one, more yeah. plants. And uh, number two, as I was mentioning, the benefits of variety. Yeah. So 
when we're talking about variety in plant-based foods, you know, studies show that eating more than 30 types of plants in the week may improve the diversity of bacteria in our gut and then that may have a knock-on impact on overall health and you know even mood and everything as we were discussing. So getting more variety of plants is definitely important but also just in the overall diet because we yeah. get different nutrients from different foods. It keeps it more interesting, it means it's more tasty, more enjoyable but also then you're getting a big range of nutrients so I'd say mix it up. So a lot of us are in the habit of just you know, we're almost on autopilot when we go to the supermarket, mm -hmm. so we just buy the same things, we have the same route, but try and just buy different things, try and get a variety. Okay. So we've got eat more vegetables and maybe try and look for a half a plate of, of veg and salad. Would yeah, that be many an easy guideline if you try and work on that? Yeah. Um, and then we have the um, eat the variety. Yes. What's your third one? My third one then is to look at the bigger picture of health. So although I'm a dietitian and I'm really passionate about the benefits of health and nutrition side of things, we can't just pinpoint on this one area of health. We need to look at our overall health. So that's where I'd say, you know, don't neglect things like regular movement, getting enough sleep, relaxing, socializing. So it's that bigger picture of wellness. And in terms of the movement then, are you talking about, you know, you need to be running 10K three times a week or, or what type of movement are you yeah. talking about? So, what I think is most important is finding a type of movement that you enjoy because okay. then it's, it's more pleasurable and then also you're more likely to keep it up and to keep going. Um, the government guidelines are the 150 minutes per week of something like you know, walking or running, that kind of movement, and then at least twice a week, strength-based exercises. Okay. So that's one that we sometimes forget about. So that could be weights, it could be Pilates, it could be yoga. Um, so actually we need to work on muscle strength as well. Okay. And with the sleep, is there anything um, food-wise that you would say, you know, not to eat certain length before you go to bed or to eat something before, you know, how would you? Yeah, it's, it's quite individual. Um, for the most part, if we eat too close to bed, then our body is digesting and, you know, it brings blood to our stomach and things like that. So that can impact sleep. And if anyone has issues with reflux as well, eating too close to bed is likely to exacerbate that reflux. Okay. Um, so for most people, you know, leaving at least an hour before bed after they eat. The other thing is that for overall health, most of us should be eating most of our food in the earlier part of the day, so before 3pm, because that links up with our body clock, our circadian rhythm, so okay. that might help with sleep as well. So get into the habit of big breakfast, big lunch, less in the evening. Okay. It's not always possible with people. It's working. not. I know. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so what's next for dietetically speaking? So I really, I will be continuing to promote evidence-based nutrition messages and just getting the messages out there to, you know, fight the nutritional nonsense and just what are the messages that people do need to know and sort of simplify and debunk. So I'll definitely keep doing that. Great. Um, hope to keep working, um, you know, doing my health writing, working with clients, consultancy. So just kind of continuing the type of work I'm doing. I'm really enjoying that. And then one of my latest projects is an upcoming ebook. Okay. And so I did a January webinar about eating well for busy people, and it was just about simplifying and you know quick healthy meal ideas that kind of thing. And um, so I am creating that into an ebook. And um, so the details will be on my website for that. Great. Right. Okay. The question I always love to ask is, what would you choose as your last meal? Oh, I like it. Um, oh, it's very difficult. I would say something Middle Eastern is okay. my favourite type of food. 
Um, so if I can cheat and have, you know, like a big mezze plate of lots of things, I would go for things like, you know, hummus and falafel and tulumi and flatbreads and some of the different salads and things. Would you go for any meat there or would you? I actually, I don't eat meat. You don't eat meat at all? Okay. Um, although, um, I don't encourage other people for health to cut out meat. Okay. It's more based on your own ethics and yeah, environment and all yeah. that. And so I personally wouldn't, maybe some fish. Okay. And would you have anything to drink with that? Even a herbal tea or a kombucha or a wine yeah, or a beer? That's a good or... question. Um, I would probably have, I definitely have some water and probably wine or beer. Okay. Dessert? Ooh, I didn't even think about dessert. <laughs> um, something, depends how full I am after this piece. Um, probably. So, depends if someone like Otto Lenghi is cooking it for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe something like a panna cotta or something fruity. Okay, great. Um, and so where can my audience get in touch with you if they would like to learn a bit more? So my website is dietetically-speaking.com and okay. I'm going to spell that out <laughs> because it's quite long and confusing. Um, so it's D-I-E-T-E-T-I-C-A-L-L-Y speaking.com. Fantastic. Follow one word. And I have links to all my social media on there, but on Facebook and Instagram, I'm at dietetically-speaking, again one word. On Twitter, I couldn't fit that in my handle, yeah. so I'm at Dietetic Speak. And uh, also then you can email me, Maeve, at dietetically-speaking.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode of Cook, Eat, Nourish. I'd be really grateful if you could rate and review this episode to help me spread the word. For more information, pop over to my website, Fiona's foodforlife.ie where you'll find lots of recipes, tips, videos and blogs. Thanks a million. See you soon.